Hi, everybody. I'm Jeff Pecora, joined alongside my stable mates here, Joe Claves and Jim Perry. And welcome into the Track Kitchen. You two guys have been thinking about this for quite some time. We also have another featured guest that will be a co-host, I should say, and Jenny Reese. A lot of people in the horse racing world know Jenny very, very well. All over the United States, she's covered horse racing for a long, long time and very renowned in that setting. She is at the track, and she'll be in the barns, and she'll be at the tracks and adding her expertise that way as well. Jenny Reese down at Ellis Park. And, uh, Jenny, how are you today? It is hot out there. Please stay in the shade because it is roasted. It's Ellis Park weather. <laughs> the good news exactly. is we have almost 100 years of practice running in this kind of weather. Yeah. You've got Tom Drury uh, joining you down there and stuff. And we're going to be uh, catching up with you each and every week on the show. You're going to be at the at the barns, at the trackside and stuff, and uh, bringing us the news and notes of the day and, and talking to people in and around racing. And you got Tom with you today. So what is going on today down at Ellis Park? Tommy's on his way to uh, run a first-time starter in the uh, third race. And, of course, that's one of the things Ellis Park's really become known for is it's two-year-old racing. Uh, it used to be like a well-kept secret. Then it was a not-so-well-kept secret. Now it's not even a secret. It's like, you know, you see that ELP in the past performances of horses, and it's not a, a, a toss-out. It's like, well, we better take a look at these. And, and Tommy can speak to that better. Uh, than me because he actually has been in these races before. And I was talking to Tommy a little bit ago, and Tommy, tell me what you were telling them about how tough these races are at uh, baby races at Ellis. Oh gosh, it's you know it's almost like Saratoga. You uh, you know you you enter a, a baby and you think, okay, you know I've got a nice two year old. I'm gonna go take a shot at Ellis Park, and uh, you know then then all of a sudden the overnight comes out and you look at who you're in against. Uh, you know, I think today Wesley Ward's got a couple in there, if I'm not mistaken. Brad Cox. I mean, it's uh, you know, it's the same guys that you you could run into at Saratoga on a on a on a Saturday afternoon. So it's uh, yeah, it, 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 Ellis Park two year old racing is second to none right now. There's and I, and I think you can look at the three year olds that the following year what they accomplish and that just kind of proves that point. Well, and if I might also put in a shameless pitch for Ellis Park, not just horses that ran at. Um, materials that ran at Ellis Park, but horses that trained last year training, but they weren't ready to run during the meet here. But you had Maxfield for, um, uh, you know, uh, Godolphin that trained with, um, you know, Brendan Walsh all summer here at Ellis. And Brendan just loves the surface for training. And uh, you also had our two-year-old Philly champion, British Idiom, for Brad Cox was here all summer last year. So, or the, yeah. So, uh, it's like I said, it's, it's not a secret any, anymore. Uh, Jenny, why has it become such a destination for two-year-olds? Well, I think part of it is that the money became really good. Uh, obviously, the money's not quite as good this year because COVID shut down the funding stream for about every racetrack in the country for um, a couple of months. But I think people realize it's just a great place to give a good experience to your horse. I know Brendan Walsh, when he was state, had a division here for the first time last year, and he's back again this year, he just said it's so quiet. You can take your time with the horses in the morning, and, um, you know, it's still pretty cool in the mornings here. And it's just a great learning experience, a good, safe, kind racetrack that they're going to come back good out of. And you can really develop them without, like, having to be so cranked up to 
run lights out first time to try to beat these million dollar and half a million dollar babies trained by Todd Fletcher and Chad Brown at, at uh, Saratoga. And I think trainers have come to realize, and owners, more importantly, owners, uh, that if you're the kind of horse, if you have the kind of horse you think you have, that um, the goods are going to come. If they're great at stakes winners, they're going to be great at stakes winners if they break their maiden at Ellis or if they break it at uh, at Saratoga. And maybe even a better chance at Ellis because you don't gut the horse, as I think some people on occasion have found can happen when you have to run so hard at Saratoga. And the other thing is there's a lot of – there's some grade one winners that got beat at Ellis as two-year-olds and, and, and you know, beat pretty soundly. I'm thinking of a couple of um, uh, Dale's horses um, – that um, now that you're asking me, I'm blanking on them. But uh, one of his bluegrass winners, I don't know that it was Dulahan, but maybe, um, did not run well at Ellis Park, but then came back and, you know, obviously a grade one winner. Jenny, you mentioned this, and I guess this is a question for you, for you or and or Tom, but how difficult has it been over these last several months because of the – COVID-19, the, the coronavirus, how different has it been as well? Uh, I mean, we, we, we don't have the face-to-face anymore on the backsides. It's limited. How hard has that been for them? And, and I guess for a trainer, um, how tough has it made his job knowing that the owners a lot of times can't be there on the backside with them either? Well, I think Tommy has a different experience from a lot of people because he's at Skylight, and I look forward to hearing what he has to say. I'll just tell you from a media standpoint, it's been tough because, um, you know, we hadn't been able to get on the backside at Churchill Downs. We hadn't been able to – no media in Keeneland. Um, and, you know, I just feel a little sick about it because I feel like there's some wasted opportunities for horse racing to get some good coverage at times when um, no other sports were going on. Uh, those publicity departments – certainly did what they could, but it's not the same as be able to have your own boots on the ground. But I'm thinking very selfishly there. Tell me, what about your experience? You have horses at Churchill and you have horses, obviously, uh, most of your horses are at the Skylight Training Center in Oldham County. You know, I think it's I, I think it's mainly frustrating for the owners right now, which, uh, you know, some of the tracks are starting to loosen up on their restrictions a little bit. They're starting to allow the owners to be a little bit more involved again. But, uh you know, it, it, it costs so much money to keep these horses in training, and most of these owners are very, they're very passionate about their horses. They like to be involved. They like to to come out and see them on the weekends, things of that nature. And you know, it, it, it was really hard on them to, to all of a sudden lose that. Now, as far as the horsemen are concerned, you know, recently these these racetracks have done a fantastic job. They, you know, they've let us train. They've let us kind of stay on to as, as much of a normal routine as we we would expect to be on. Uh, but, you know, when that first started and there was some uncertainty and, you know, tracks were kind of closing and, and, you know, they weren't training every day and everybody was really unsure as to what the future was going to hold, there were, you know, there were some scary moments there. And, uh, you know, a lot of, unfortunately, the biggest problem was when the COVID stuff happened, it really happened at a, at a tough time for horse racing because it was right in the spring of the year when everybody's usually thinking about shipping to different places and, you know, kind of leaving their winter base for their summer base. And, and, uh, it, it, it was really tough going there for a while. So I, you know, I've got to, I've got to commend the, the, the racetracks for, for, you know, stepping up and doing what they've done. Ellis Park, especially, they, uh, you know, they really had to, had to put a lot of effort in to make sure that they, they had their meet this year. And, 
And, uh, you know, there's a lot of us smaller horsemen in Kentucky that, uh, you know, we, re- we rely on Ellis to, to make our living, and we rely on that meat, and, uh, and it, it, really, it really means a lot to some of us smaller guys. Yeah, and um, it means a lot for us having uh, Tommy winning the bluegrass. <laughs> was that a little – um, what was that experience like with no fans? You win like a race of your dreams, your first graded stakes victory, and, and there's nobody in the grandstand. Was it like what you would have thought, or uh, did it not matter, just the sheer joy? You know, I'll tell you, Jenny, as, as nervous as I get before races, it was probably a good thing because it kind of took it kind of took some of that away. You know, it was just so quiet around Keeneland that day, and you know there wasn't a lot of activity outside of just the horses in the paddock, and everybody was kind of kind of focused on their own horse. And you know, there there certainly wasn't a lot of a lot of chit chat taking place. And uh, you know, it, it it really, you know, it. it Looking back on it, uh, now that we've won the race, would I like for it to have been, you know, the stands to have been full? Yeah, that would have been great. But, uh, but really, I, I, again, I think, you know, I think the tracks are doing their very best to, to continue on and to work their way through this. And, and uh, you know, with it, it's obviously tough without fans, but, uh, but at least we're, you know, we're all working and we're all, we're all doing what we love. Well, one reason those of us in publicity and the media are so happy about Tommy's victory and being on the derby scene is not only, as you can tell, he talks, but he uh, returns phone calls and texts, which we appreciate. But, I mean, what a story. Here's a guy that's been around a lot of good horses, getting them ready for other people for years and years, Uh, people like Frankie Brothers and Al Stahl and Bill Mott. And just put in perspective, like one of your own, one that you got to keep, and that originally was, a, a, you had, originally you were just going to have him for the winter, right? And then he was going to go on to probably Rusty Arnold, correct? Yeah, that's correct. He, when he was originally sent to me, he uh, he was, uh, you know, we were just doing what we normally do. We were going to get him legged up and have him ready to go for Rusty when he got back from Florida, and you know, then all the COVID stuff happened, and there was, again, there was so much uncertainty the first part of it, and uh, nobody was sure what the future was going to hold. So Mr. Lunsford just decided the horse was probably better off to stay where he was at, for you know, during that time, and that allowed us to get him pretty much ready to run his first race, and and that, that led to us being able to race him, and uh, that kind of led to us being able to keep him. So it's, uh, you know, I'm probably one of the few people in America that can say the COVID stuff really gave me a major boost in my career so uh we've we've really been blessed and it's a it's a big opportunity and you know we're just we're just trying to make the most of it you know there aren't many louisville owners that have won the derby if you count um people that were parts of syndicates um you know starlight winning with justify being a minority partner most of those guys are louisvillians um gosh i'm trying to think and i think it's there's been one since bashford manor uh won the Derby, but Bruce Lunsford certainly would be an, a rare Louisvillian to win the Derby. I want to say that we always research this when Dale Romans has a horse, but I want to say no Louisville born and raised trainer has won the Derby. And I know, you know, please somebody text me if I'm missing somebody on that, but if it's happened, it's extremely rare. And we call you, um, we call you Louisville, and you're Greater Louisville. Um, but it would really be—I mean, I, 
uh, and to have an all Louisville team. Ryan Hernandez is a naturalized Louisvillian. You know, he's been here almost as long as he's lived in Louisiana at this point. But it's, you know, it's going to be one of the top themes of this uh, Kentucky Derby, which is very exciting for those of us that live in Louisville. That wasn't a question. That was just a <laughs> <laughs> And I, I guess, Jenny, it, we, we should all say congratulations on his first grade one win there with Art Collector. And, and, and you know, the, the story was kind of the Philly. Can anybody beat the Philly? Well, you did it. And now, you know, you're squarely in there. How did your uh, Colt come out of the race? And, and how is he pointing forward now? What are you looking forward to before uh, September in the Derby? You know, he, he, he really came out of the race well. I, uh, you know, the Philly, she she absolutely was the story going into the race. I, I was I was really worried about her. I, you know, I know Kenny McPeak well. He's a friend of mine. I knew that you know he wouldn't have had that feeling in the bluegrass had she not been training you know training through the bridle and and that's exactly how she ran and she you know she made us work for it. It was uh, and you know in my opinion it was arguably as good of a horse race as you're ever going to see from the from the quarter pole home. So uh, you know we're we were just blessed to win the race, but. You know, fortunately, he seems like he's came out of it in good order. You know, now the question is, you know, we're, we've kind of run a little different plan this year than what we might normally be with, uh, you know, with everything that's going on. And, you know, you've got eight weeks to the Derby, so do you squeeze another race in or do you train up to the Derby? And, you know, that's kind of the million-dollar question. I, I, I'm, I, You know, if I go anywhere with him, it'll be Ellis Park. Uh, that's, that's the only race that's even into consideration right now. If we don't go to Ellis, then we'll just train up to the Derby and take our best shot that way. I, I would guess that we'll probably be making a decision on that uh, sometime next week. But, uh, uh, you know, right now the good news is everything seems to be in good order with the horse. That's great. And, and, and um, you know, selfishly, of course, we at Ellis Park hope um, <laughs> um, to see him there. But I, we know that you and Bruce will do what's right for the horse. But I just can't imagine. This is a once, you know, in a hundred year deal, Ellis Park having a derby prep. And just thinking about it, you said, you know, you're one of the people that benefit from, from the few from COVID because you got the horse. But also, it's only because of COVID that he's even positioned to run in the derby. He wasn't ready, uh, before had it been the first Saturday in May. And do you do think a lot about just the twist of fate? It's so true with, you know, well, life in general, but, with this horse and and uh, with you having this horse and, and the Derby, yeah, it's uh, I, I I don't think there's any question. I, I, you know, you have to think about that, and uh, you know, it's uh, as always that you know what we would do with any horse that comes in the barn. We're you know we're just trying to make the most of of every opportunity opportunity that we receive, and and uh, you know this just happens to be a much bigger opportunity than we're used to. But I think. Uh, you know, I'm excited. My staff's excited. We, you know, I think we're certainly up to the task. And we're, you know, whether we race one more time or whether we train up to the Derby, uh, you can bet when we lead him over there, we're going to be ready to take our best shot. Yeah. Hey, I've got a question for Jim. He sent me a photo, a great photo of the three of you in the studio. What's this stuff you got to your left in those bottles? I can't tell if it's lim- liniments <laughs> for like like for a horse's legs or if it's like bourbon. <laughs> That's an interesting question, and I'm certainly glad you can't see that because if we tell you where it came from, we'd have to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, good stuff, Jenny, on a hot day to, to cool us off. Yeah, one of our topics is, is bourbon, and uh, we've got Scott Pugh here. We're going to lead into doing a uh, private label testing here. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. very cool. And yeah, you're missing so. it. Sorry. <laughs> 
But if it goes well, we're going to have a, a pretty uh, nationally known figure behind yeah. this, and it's going to be good fun. So Scott and I have been trying to do this. Says, come on over here. Let's do it live on the show. Okay. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, uh, but yeah, you know, no, I'm sorry. You're, you're down in the barn area. We're all sitting in a nice air conditioned studio. And I'm feeling for you, but we all have spent our time in the barn area too, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm actually, Tommy's driving and I'm actually up in the front office in the air conditioning working on some, um, racing notes that are going to come out shortly, including on Brian Hernandez. I mean, there's so many parts of this art collector team and, and Brian, um, having a chance at, the Derby, he's only been it twice before. He's won the most lucrative race in the country with the Breeders' Cup Classic with Fort Larned. Um And then, um, you know, and I remember when he won with Fort Larned, the Whitney, his first grade one race. Then the next day he rode at Ellis Park. He was going like 100 miles an hour. I remember Tim Sullivan from the Courier Journal doing a column on it. But that's that's another component of this team I want to tell me about is, you know, you're really great friends with Brian in addition to having a professional relationship, it sounds like. Yeah, he's he, he's like a little brother to me. I, we've been, you know, we first met when he first came here and had the bug, and over the years we've just gotten closer and closer. And, you know, we've had a lot of conversations, those what-if conversations, and boy, wouldn't it be nice conversations about, uh, about getting a horse like this and, uh, you know, I, I, we finally got our opportunity and, uh, just, you know, just, just, just happy for the whole team. I mean, I know, uh, you know, we, we, we had a good conversation, uh, the night after the bluegrass and certainly some of those things were mentioned and, and just, uh, you know, there's nobody on earth that I would want to be in this situation with other than Brian. So, you know, I feel blessed to have him. He's, he knows this horse like the back of his hand and, you know, I have total faith in his, his judgment and his ability. So, uh, you know, just uh, just looking forward to getting to the next step. You know, just thinking about it, there's a lot of, I think, uh, sort of parallels between uh, your two careers. Obviously, jockeys' careers can be a lot more condensed than a trainer's career. But both of you have just kind of uh, been excellent for a lot of years and stuck with it, stuck with it in Kentucky. I remember Brian, he won the... Uh, he was the Apprentice uh, Eclipse Award winner in, I think it was 2004. And then he went through that patch where when a lot of apprentices lose their bugs, you lose a lot of business. And what you see is a lot of these young riders, you know, they start getting bad attitudes or they start, you know, jumping circuits back and forth trying to get some traction. Brian had stuck it out here. And then slowly his business built up to where, you know, he's – recognizes a top rider and he, you know, he, he, you know, wins Breers Cup races and grade one races and, and now he's one of the favorites for the Derby. And Tommy, I think there's some parallels with, with, um, your career too, that you just have stuck with what, you know, you've been doing with, uh, you know, the business of getting horses ready for other people while also having your own stable. But, you know, um, you stuck it out here in Kentucky, even as Kentucky for both of you all has gotten increasingly tougher and tougher. And am I, am I, is that one of the things I think we call a turf rider I, observation that sometimes we stretch in or do you sort of see it that same way? No, I really, I really do. And I, you know, I, that's probably, you know, those, those slow years that Brian had, that's probably when he and I got to be the closest, uh, because, uh, well, number one, he was easy to get, but, uh, number, number two, uh, you know, we shared, you know, we shared common goals. We were both, uh, you know, we were both, this is all we know as horses. It's all we've ever known. It's all we've ever wanted to do. And, 
you know, we've had a lot of conversations about opportunities and making the most of them and, and uh, you know, doing whatever needs to be done to, to be successful in this industry. And, you know, during that time, Brian, it wasn't uncommon for Brian to go ride a horse for me at the old River Downs or, uh, you know, a funny story. I was telling somebody this morning, he, he won the Breeders' Cup on Fort Warren and just a short time later, he actually went to Beulah Park and rode a small stake race for me up there. And, you know, he didn't have to do it. I, I, he was, by this time in his career, he was, he was fine and he certainly didn't need me. It was just, uh, something that he did for a friend. The horse didn't win the race. I think he ran third, but, uh, you know, I remember him after the race signing, signing people's programs and taking <laughs> pictures and things of that nature. And I mean, it was a, it was a big deal for Beulah Park to have Brian Hernandez come in to ride that day. And, uh, you know, for us, it was just another, you know, it was a fun road trip. We rode up together, we rode back together and had a good time. And, you know, unfortunately we didn't win the race, but, uh, but that, that's just kind of, that's always been our relationship. That's very cool. Jenny and Tom, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. You're in tough today and Brian's got his hands full with Lady Edith in the third race, but good luck this afternoon. In the third race, about an hour and 15 minutes away at Ellis Park. Tom, good luck to you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks, guys. Jenny, thank you so much, and we'll talk to you again next week on the show. Thanks, Jenny. Sounds great. Thanks. Welcome back into the track kitchen. It is now my pleasure to introduce this guy, a guy that uh, I know pretty well, being in northern Kentucky and living right around the corner from him, actually. State Representative Adam Caney, he served Kentucky 69th Legislative District since only back in 2007. And to me, if you want to win an election in the state, and I'm not taking anything away from western or eastern Kentucky, but there's three places you got to win. you got to win Fayette County, you got to win Jefferson, then you got to win Kenton Boone and Campbell County. And uh, this guy right here serves most of those districts up in northern Kentucky since 2007. And uh, so we great pleasure to have you on with us, Adam. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that, that makes it uh, interesting is some of the things that you've done since you've been in there. And, and one of the things that you do is you're the chairman of the House Licensing, Occupations, and Administrative Regulations Committee. And what that means to people that are listening to this show is that you pretty much have the authority over the thoroughbred racing industry and – the alcohol industry said two huge industries in the state of Kentucky, right? They are both uh, huge uh, industries, and uh, it's not just the thoroughbred, but anything uh, gaming-related, so charitable gaming, lottery. Um, and uh, say I have the authority, that's just uh, one of the bills in the committee in the House. Um, but, yeah, it's... Uh, it's a tough job dealing with alcohol and gaming all the time, but someone has to do it, so I, I, I suffer through it. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things that you were uh, huge with is you were the primary sponsor for that sports wagering bill and the uh, sports wagering legislation this past year. Tell us a little bit about that and what that actually is. Sure. The uh, Just to back up a couple of years, uh, the United States Supreme Court uh, overturned a law um, the federal government had passed, I think, in 1992, uh, the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act, and that basically held in place whatever laws, uh, whatever states uh, were allowed to do sports betting, like Nevada, and uh, basically outlawed any other state from from uh, opening it. 
and uh Supreme Court overturned it on Tenth Amendment issues, and then all of a sudden there was a rush to the door of everyone to start uh, allowing this um, because, you know, we all know it happens. We all know it exists uh, between um, your bookies, and nowadays you can download an app from an offshore site and, and uh, wager on sports. And so, um, yeah, so... Uh, th- both 2019 and 2020, um, I filed the bill, and uh, wouldn't you know, I got it out of my committee uh, both years, but uh, that's where it stalled. There's uh, uh, a long-standing uh, concern from many people in the legislature regarding um, expanded gambling, which goes back to the casino debates of the last 20-some years. Um, but I'm going to keep plugging. We'll get there eventually. Um, but yeah, the, uh, would have allowed all the racetracks to get a license to have a, a sports betting on site, as well as, uh, the opportunity to have an app where you could wager anywhere in the state of Kentucky. Representative Kenny, how much are we losing out? Because really, if you look at the state of Kentucky, Three sides are surrounded by Indiana, Ohio, West Virginia uh, that have passed those and, and actually even have casino gambling there. But so how much are we losing in taxes uh, that can be taken from this, uh, from the state of Kentucky to all these other states? We estimate conservatively over $20 million that we could be generating just from um, sports wagering. Uh, and that, that I, we, a lot of states and a lot of politicians will look at it as optimistically as possible to help sell it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, not, it's not who I am. That's not who the the tracks really. They wanted to under we wanted to under promise and over deliver. So uh, I think you know once fully functional, twenty million is a year is probably uh, the bottom level. Very conservative. Uh, and, uh, look, I mean, it's not just the money. The money would be great, especially in these times when everyone's broke because the economy was shut down. But you look at um, the fact that if you have a bookie and you're winning a lot, bookie doesn't want to pay you where you go yeah. for protection. Sure. Um, if uh, the bookie is keeps taking your money. And uh, allows you to extend yourself and uh, comes for it. You don't have any protection there either. Uh, same with offshore accounts. They will pay you because they like your business, but there's no way to ensure that, that you're going to get paid. That's what government regulation and uh, and the protections that, that come with it and why you, as a citizen, would like to do it, A, legally, and B, you pay taxes and so that we can regulate that activity and make sure it's being done properly and nobody's uh, being cheated. We're speaking with State Representative Adam Koenig uh, here on the Track Kitchen. And I, I want to ask you one more question because I, this is just something that I've always wondered. What is the difference in we are obviously the, the, the home for thoroughbred horse racing, and standard bird racing for that matter, just horse racing in general. We've got a huge state lottery. And we also have the historical horse racing, which is in a lot of the racetracks around the state. How how is that different than what you're trying to get pushed through? Do you understand my question? I guess 
I do, and <laughs> you know, the short answer is it's really not. <laughs> um, you know, the the um, some people think it would be better to, you know, put it to the people and make it a constitutional amendment. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some that believe that it's not constitutional in its current form in my bill. Um, that is, I don't believe anywhere close to being accurate, but some people think, well, if we put it to the people and they want to make it legal, then, you know, then that's not a problem. And that might be some, uh, a tactical take one day, but, mm-hmm. uh, really I don't, I don't think so. Um, it's a game of skill. Uh, you can make money doing it. You can do that on a slot machine. Eventually they will, the odds will get you. But if you're, uh, talented enough, uh, and willing to put in the work, just like horse racing, you can, you can make money as a, uh, sports better. So I think it's, uh, it's a game of skill without question. And, uh, you know, we're going to continue pushing it. And also in that bill is, uh, legalization of fantasy sports. Everybody does it. Sure. Your DraftKings, your FanDuel. Sure. Sure. Um, but again, there's no regulations. There's no money coming into the coffers. There's no assurances to the people. And also in, in my bill is, uh, online poker. Another game of skill. Sure. Which I may or may not use to engage in and supplement <laughs> my income before the federal government took it away from me. Uh, Representative Kane, this but don't gen- tell anybody in case I get elect, you know invited to their poker games. <laughs> uh, Representative Koenig, Joe Klaibs here. Uh, always great to hear from you. Uh, a lot of people mm-hmm. may not know this, but uh, you're you're a pretty avid mm-hmm. racehorse fan. Uh, uh, you got any thoughts on uh, some of the races later today, or any input on? Uh, I haven't had derby handicap. I would have liked because <laughs> today I've. This morning I've been doing my other job, which is real estate agent. But um, I like New York traffic in the Haskell. There you go. Look, they're they're writing it down feverishly over here. Hey, I, I, I want to switch gears with you uh, away from the third bed industry for a minute because uh, I, I think you've got a bill in committee right now that is going to allow liquor, most importantly bourbon, to be shipped into the state of Kentucky or, or within the state of Kentucky. Am I, am I correct? That? And tell me a little bit about that because, you know, my other job being with the Reds, I have to get stuff when we go to, let's say, a winery out in Napa or something like that. They ship it to the ballpark, and then I get pick it up there, but I can't get it shipped to my house. Is that what you're trying to alleviate? Well, not only are we trying, we succeeded. We passed that bill this Very year. Very nice. Um, it was a very difficult bill, but it actually became law on July 15th. There we go. Perfect. But before you get excited and uh, start ordering, um, there are a lot of complicated regulations that are going to have to come with it, and the Alcohol Beverage Control is working on that. They filed the regulations this week, and that uh, has to go through a long regulation review um, system in the legislature, so it will probably be at best November or December before you can do that. Mm-hmm. But yes, let's talk about another thing that happens all the time. Um, people ship alcohol and, you know, market olive oil on the outside of the box mm-hmm. and ship it, or they ship it to Ohio or Indiana or wherever they, else they can. And, um, so yeah, we've, we got it passed. 
over a lot of objections from uh, the retailers and the wholesalers. Um, the caveats are you have to purchase it straight from the producer. Okay. So, yes, you go to that winery in, in Napa Valley. Mm-hmm. They'll need a license uh, to be allowed to ship it in to you in Kentucky, but uh, they should be able to do it online. They should be able to do it quickly, and then they should be able to uh, ship in no time. And uh, it's it's a lot of states just have wine shipments. Uh, given the bourbon industry in Kentucky, that just wasn't a feasible option for obvious reasons and for good reasons. So we actually went pretty much from zero to 100 miles an hour, and we went from uh, only our local small farm wineries were allowed to ship. Now, everyone, spirits, wine, beer, in or out. So basically you're telling me that... uh, We have taken a quantum leap and pretty much jumped in front of all the other states when it comes to that freedom to be able to ship wine directly to your house or ship alcohol directly to your house. So basically I could go to Four Roses or, you know, LeBron and Jay, whoever, and get it shipped mm-hmm. to my house from that facility, correct? Yes. Wow. Yes, you can. That's and huge. people, if they come and visit Northern Kentucky and go to Braxton. Yep, Braxton. Brewery. Yeah. Yep. And like what they find, they can have it shipped straight to their house. Well, that probably won't be cheap to have beer shipped, but if that's what they want to do, they'll have the freedom to do it. So it's going to help our distilleries. It's going to help our producers uh, of alcohol. And you know what? They create a lot of jobs, especially in the bourbon industry. They have a lot of high-paying jobs. You work for a distillery, you're probably getting paid pretty well no matter what what you're doing there. So um, it uh, it's going to be a, a big deal for the state when it matures. What does the future of gaming look like in the state of Kentucky? I wish I had a good answer for that. If it were up to me, um, we'd have sports betting, we'd have casinos, and we'd let pe- adults make adult decisions. Um, you know, right now I just hope to get the sports wagering bill through. I think it'll be a uh, 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 something that'll be extraordinarily welcome. I think the people that are concerned about it in the legislature will uh, be amazed at how much it doesn't affect their communities, and they'll be amazed at, to learn how many people that are probably even close to them will start doing it and enjoy it. Um, you know, maybe one day we'll have a constitutional amendment to basically take all the restrictions off of gaming and just allow it to the legislature to pass what they see fit. Uh, but right now, uh, you know, with the, um, hopefully the sports wagering bill with the, um, historical horse racing machines and the purses that are, uh, uh, we've been seeing in, uh, uh, Churchill particularly, Keelan's always had nice purses turfways purses when they get everything up and running up here now the Churchill's taken over and they're going to put in uh, I think thousands of those historical horse racing machines up here in northern Kentucky and all of a sudden I think their purses are going to look as good as if not better than Oaklawn's 
when they're running at the same time. So I think it's going to be a serious, serious uh, improvement, and we will uh, regain the place to run your horses in Kentucky. So I think it looks bright, and I think it's good for the state. Absolutely. Uh, Adam, Jim Perry here. I wanted to also think I do some work with historical racing, and we've got uh, uh, Patrick Neely that's actually going to come on the show later in the week. He was unable to schedule with us today, and I was kind of maybe having both of you at the same time because Patrick can give you more of a breakdown of what the tax revenues are for Kentucky, and as well as anybody out there can go to the Thoroughbred Racing Authority and tab down on the historical horse racing tab and see what the monthly income and breakdown for each track, each terminal, down to the penny. And I think that's when you get transparency like that, it helps answers questions that you and I can't answer and anybody else can't answer. So I think you're doing a wonderful job. And I, I kind of like to, you know, we discussed earlier, invite you back and uh, get you and Patrick on the same show at the same time. And um, you both can talk about the benefits of what historical horse racing does and what we see every day. Uh, maiden special races going to Churchill for 80,000, you know, uh, claiming races. Uh-huh. You can't claim a horse now because everybody's trying to claim horses for income, not always for breeding. So the, uh-huh. you know, a lot of the trainers are having to shake, you know, four or five people trying to get to the same horse. So all that to reflect from the gaming, from the historical horse racing. And I think what you're doing is expanding that market to people who don't want to go and just play the terminals. I always call them terminals. They look like and smell like a slot machine, but they're actually a, a mutual terminals or what they play. So, well, I appreciate that, and, and I agree with you. I'd happy, happily uh, come back on in general, and certainly happy to uh, uh, come on with Patrick, who's a, a good guy and has been an important part of uh, growing uh, horse racing in Kentucky over the years. Well, if we get uh, Turfway up and running again uh, here pretty soon, we get Chipbach to invite everybody back into and play a, play a little poker in that uh, that fun room they have there. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> I mean, they're going to have a very nice building, uh, and uh, not only are they going to have the historical horse racing machines there, but before that, they're going to have them um, in Newport too. So uh, that'll be a, that'll be a draw, I think, especially when you got people in. Campbell County, who, uh, you know, it's pretty easy to forget to, to, uh, what is now the Hard Rock Casino sure. in downtown Cincinnati. And, uh, basically they'll have to pass, pass those machines in Newport and hopefully they'll just stop right there and keep their money in Kentucky. Well, let's hope so. Uh, Representative Candy, we appreciate you coming on with us and hopefully we'll have you back in the very near future. Thank you very much. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Adam. So long from Lexington, Kentucky, and our thanks to the Horse Racing Network for the use of their studios for the Track Kitchen.